Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. We have a fun show for you tonight. Lots of good, fun news on an exciting tournament as well as a preview for the first regular season game coming up on Saturday. And who's better to do that than Matt Baker, who is here with me tonight. Matt, what's up, man? How you doing? Fantastic. We're coming off a win. We're looking ahead to our first home game of the MLS regular season. What's there not to love about life right now? It's, man, so, so good. I'm not going to waste any time. Let's jump right into the fun part. It was, you know, I just feel like this team doesn't know how to not make history when they start seasons, when they play these games, because what a crazy night um, with a crazy finish that we will get to. Um, it was a victory against Houston at home in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Two to one finish. Matt, let's, as usual, start with the uh, starting 11 and we'll work our way through this game quickly. Yeah, if, if you think back to a lot of the things that we talked about coming into this match, the fitness questions, the, the discussion about um, newness to the roster, you look at a lot of the starting lineup, and you say this isn't a surprise. You had Roman Berkey in net. You had Anthony Marcanic at left back. Tim Parker, Josh Morrow, Thomas Cotlin made up the back line. Thomas Ostrock and Chris Durkin patrolled the midfield, which was a combination that we saw in the preseason. Easy Jackson, Indiana Vasilev were our wide attacking mids. Klaus and Sam were up top. There's a 4 2 2 2 formation. And we found out a lot about that while we talked to Easy Jackson at the press conference on Thursday. But when we first saw this lineup, I, I saw some exciting things in what I wanted to see from Totland. I figured Dewar wasn't there yet based on his comments, getting his fitness back up uh, because he had been off for the past two months. And then you have Leuven coming back. You, obviously, Nielsen wasn't a member of the game day roster. And the choice to have Durkin over Blom was really the only thing that I found notable, or Ostrak over Blom, depending on how you look at it. Other than that, I was excited to see this team get going. Yeah, you were calling Markanic from the beginning, and I think we've even gotten a quote from Bradley Carnell that that left-back battle might be closer than maybe we expected, which is kind of fun. At least for right now, yeah. I, I wonder when Nicholas Dewar has up to 70, 75 minutes in him to see how he really ends up um, separating himself if he can from Markanic. But I keep going back to the expectations from last year where Markanic was brought in to be a backup to whatever amalgamation we had between John Nelson and Kyle Hebert. The long-term plan was not to start him, but that's not to say he can't grab the bull by the horns and make that his starting job. Because if you look at some of the underlying stats of this game, he was rather successful when it came to his passing abilities Hmm. and progressing the ball because it was him progressing the ball up to AZ. And when we dig into what some of these stats were in how our ball progression was handled, Anthony Marcanic did a pretty stand-up job pulling that left foot. He did. He did. And I think the one thing about the starting 11, and this is kind of my biggest takeaway from the game, really. So I will waste some time here and say it that, um, you know, I think we were all wondering whether Leuven and Nilsson would play and whether they were 90 minutes uh, healthy at this point. And I was really glad to see that they weren't for the reasons I keep harping on being that it's going to be a long season. If they're not ready, this is a great opportunity to go ahead and give them that break. Like right from the start, they're not jumping in before they should. Give them the break on this game. Houston is super injured. It's CONCACAF Champions Cup, so you're playing with house money in a way. And so I was really glad that they were arrested for this game. Maybe we'll see them on Saturday. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And, of course, they'll be available at the next game, I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know what you thought about that, Matt. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm looking for on this weekend. We'll talk to, about uh, some of the quotes that AZ had from the press conference. I, uh, it sounded like, and, and might as well talk about it now, AZ Jackson mentioned that Jared Phillips, their director of sports performance, gives them a goal saying it takes about 48 hours for the body to, to recover. And so if you look at that 48 hours as kind of a baseline and then seeing who's able to uh, regen and, and recover beyond that, ready to go for a full 90, you wonder just how many of these guys can continue to go on Saturday. And I look for about half, you know, not to spoil my RSL starting lineup that we'll get to at the end. Mm. But I do think that given the amount of work that some of these guys put in, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Tim Parker could go 90 again, that Josh Yarrow could go 90 again. And you have some more rotation in some of these other areas that the things we mentioned at the beginning allow for. So Leuven came on late. That's an opportunity. Absolutely. You had Celio Pompeu on late. That's an opportunity. Blome late. Another opportunity. You're you're able to mix and match. And this is where you're seeing the proof in the depth conversations really shine through is that the group that came on in the second half led a lot of the sparks that we ended up seeing. The stats were pretty abysmal from a, a chance creation perspective in the first half. The numbers were not good. Uh, zero goals, zero shots on goal in the first half from St. Louis. And and the issues really got better as the game progressed. And so as I watched this first half unfold, especially, I saw a lot of feeling out. I saw a lot of back and forth, 50-50s, not a whole lot of things being strung together. And the few things that were strung together, there was some, not not some bad misses, but for instance, when Klaus had his one opportunity that really sticks out, you know, he shot it wide. It wasn't a shot on target. And no. so, you know, those are the kinds of things that I, I felt St. Louis was just, they were playing a, a chess game in that first half with Houston, feeling them out. They did what they needed to do thanks to a little assistance to VAR in keeping it close, but taking it into the second half and Houston with their one shot on goal being at the 45 minute mark, they weren't doing anything either. And so this was a nice game to, that kind of allowed us to get our sea legs a little bit. And I think it's another reason I'm thankful that we played Houston. Like I mentioned in our, our previous pods before this, I think they were a perfect first round opponent for St. Louis City with all their issues, with the home game to start it off. I don't think we could have asked for a better way to start and figure ourselves out than what we saw on Tuesday. Well, we have a surprise here. I mean, a half a surprise. We had, we knew there was a chance, uh, but we have our friend Santiago Beltran jo- uh, joining us tonight as well. Santi, anything you'd like to add to what Matt is saying about this game? We haven't quite gotten any goals or anything of the second half, but go ahead. No, the, the only thing, and maybe you guys talk about it before I join, uh, I was a little surprised um, with the lineup uh, not not on the lineup, but specifically with um, Thomas Ostrak playing uh, in that role. Uh, that was a surprise to me. I, I know Carnell, and I don't know, if, Matt, if you recall, on media day after that game against Louisville, mm-hmm. he mentioned Thomas Ostrak as, a, as an option for defensive midfield. And at that point, I took it, like, yeah, okay, he's an option. But then when he was in the starting lineup, I, he was was very odd to me and to me he looked a little bit out of place i I don't know what what you guys thought yeah and and i i think az jackson um alluded to it a little bit in his comments today because yeah i I talked to thomas ostrak on media day too and asked him about the eight and he said it was a position he was getting more comfortable in and he he could play all over so he really kind of downplayed his ability to play there even though we hadn't seen much of him in that central midfield role outside of preseason 
what AZ Jackson was commenting on is some of the spacing that they had to work out in the first half because it was very noticeable how AZ as a left side attacker was working defensively as a left side attacker. But oftentimes when they progress the ball into the final third, whether it's through Marcanic or through Totland, AZ was coming over to the ball wherever it ended up being. He was really leveraging his almost his spidey senses as a central attacking midfielder, a number 10 in going to the ball, trying to trying to create opportunities in tight spaces, very tight spaces. And that sometimes kind of overlapped or it, it covered up Tomas Ostrak. And that's the only the only thing I really think he couldn't get involved in in the attack. And when you look at the underlying stats as far as passes go and how we progress the ball, Tomas Ostrak didn't crack the top five in number of passes up the field. And he it was it was notable because the passing leaders for City throughout this game were Tim Parker, Anthony Markanik, AZ Jackson, Tomas Totlin, and Indiana Vasilev. You could see that Parker was kind of the field general there to, to see where we needed to progress the ball to start. And then it went down the wings, which isn't unsurprising, but it's something you don't necessarily expect when you have a Leuven in midfield or Blome for that matter. So I found Ostrock and Durkin kind of lacking in in the ability to progressively uh, pass the ball and, and initiate some of those chances. But I think their defensive work more than made up for that. Yeah, I mean, Ostrock looks fine defensively in that position. And I don't want this to fall necessarily on Ostrock because it's not just him who needs to figure out where he goes in the final third. If he's being no. blocked, it could be the attackers. It could be even Bradley Carnell not quite um, you know, practicing these moves out fully. Um, you know, It's early in the season for them. And it could just be that we're in preseason form and we're seeing this all totally incorrectly. So that'll be a fun one to watch, though, when the St. Louis gets into the final third. What happens to Ostrock and who is allowing him or keeping him from, from doing his job and looking good in that role? I will say that I like Ostrock in the eight maybe more than Vasilev, not just because, I don't know, I want to say that he looks better than Vasilev in that position, but I love the way Vasilev looks higher, in my opinion. You know, uh, to me, this is a case of... It, it, you can you can find a lot of mirrors from last year where Indiana Vasilev was one of the best players that we had. And so Carnell needed to find a spot for him on the field. And based on the formation, based on the necessity in central midfield, that's where Indiana Vasilev landed. This year is kind of the same where whether it's for injuries or for getting back fitness from being gone, Thomas Ostrock ended up being one of the best 11 options that we had. And Carnell has seen that through the preseason is he's he's in that that a conversation of being one of those best 11 until you need him on the field. But he's not at this point, I think going to outpace Indiana Vasilev or AZ Jackson at, as a wide attacking mid. And so if you're not going to be, you're not going to be beating those two in the depth chart, but you're still a best player. You need to find a spot for him. And so Carnell's been doing, he's been giving the Indiana Vasilev treatment to Tomas Ostrock this, hmm. this preseason in getting him ready for that. So I, I found a lot of similarities and parallels to what he was doing, but yeah, I don't know that he's – I definitely don't like him as the six, which I'm glad we had Durkin out there because I think Durkin mm -hmm. performed well as the six. So Tomas Ostrak as the eight, I think it would have been a lot more successful had AZ Jackson not been just being AZ Jackson. And that's not a negative at all. I don't want to be mistaken for that. I loved what AZ Jackson was doing in creating. But what I'd like to see more is if AZ Jackson is going to be – Moving over to the right channel, for instance, after playing a left attacking mid, I'd like to see Tomas Ostrak maybe maybe move to more towards the back post, the far post. 
Because if he's creating space and creating opportunity in behind defenders, almost taking AZ's space over there where uh, a left attacking mid normally would be, then I think there's potential. But instead, you're seeing a lot of a lot of space being just eaten up between all three, four, or five of those players in the attacking third. Yep. There were, the back post thing was another one that we definitely need to watch. No matter who uh, needs to be there, uh, it does seem like that had a little bit of a hole in this match. Um, let's push on, boys. We got a lot to cover here. Second half, we got a goal from Parker. First mm-hmm. goal again. Um, I liked how CBS Sports kind of uh, laid that out for us. I forget all the three things that Parker has done. First goal last year right in Austin. First goal oh, this yeah. year, first CCC goal. And then first goal against Kansas City. I remembered them all in the playoffs. Um, yep. So cool. Really cool, especially considering not many goals with Houston ahead of that. <laughs> it's been really fun to watch. Uh, but, Matt, do you want to kind of continue this timeline here um, in the second half? Yeah, I thought around the 55-60 minute mark, we saw a noticeable change. It was right before the subs happened. It was a, around the same time Indiana Vasilev broke his wrist. And it was it was a noticeable shift in what St. Louis was able to do progressing up. So you get that huge push push around 60 minutes, multiple chances, multiple shots on goal. Parker scores in the 61st minute and then you're able to get out Indiana Vasilev. And so as the game progresses, you're seeing Carnell's tactical approach shine through here in you're giving some guys rest and you're moving some people tactically. So when Blom entered, it pushed Tomas Ostrock to the right wing. When Salio Pompeu entered the match, it pushed AZ Jackson to the right. Salio went to the left. When Leuven finally came in, it was a one for one positioning swap. And then when Kojima came in, it was just a whole lot of chaos, as I refer to it. Kojima was slotted into the midfield, but he didn't have time, I don't think, to really set anything up. So it was more at that point, Carnell putting him in there to cause chaos. He knew the the tactical awareness, the strategic mind that Kojima has to position himself. And it was just an opportunity that I think he gave him. And you could look at whether he chose Kojima over Thorson for a reason. But I think whatever the reason was, Kojima ended up getting himself in the exact perfect spot at that 90-minute mark. The pass that was broken up, I think it was meant for Sam Adenarin. But Kojima facing the wrong way. This is one of my favorite replays to watch because his spatial awareness is so good, but his instincts are even better because he gathers that ball and he doesn't try to do too much with it. He just he sees a little bit of space, you can tell, and he tries to exploit it. And it was the perfect tunnel to find a goal past past Clark. You could tell he didn't yeah, want to foul anybody, which was so, so good. Go ahead, Santi. Yeah, and I was going to say perfect touch uh, just to find the space he needed. And that was amazing. Uh, Just uh, very few guys, I think, can tell that story that you get officially signed that day. And then uh, your first professional game, uh, debuting with your team. And five minutes later, you scored the game-winning goal. Yeah, I love it. I mean, what a wonderful moment. Again, this this club doesn't know how to not make history. Um, and I do want to gloat. I get to gloat about this one. I've been telling everybody to place their bets on Kijima getting uh, getting minutes in this game. You did. I, I didn't think it would happen, <laughs> let's be real. But I thought it was a, a fun one to put out there. And look, he got his minutes and a, a freaking goal, uh, which is something I'm not sure anybody would have put money on. Uh, but a really fun one. Um, let's. Uh, any last thoughts from you, Santiago, about this entire game? You haven't said much since you've been on. Yeah, no, uh, I know. I was listening to you guys. Uh, I agree with what you said about Leuven and Nilsson. No need to rush them. You have uh, enough depth uh, to 
continue giving getting them that progression so they can get to uh, the minutes um, they need to get to uh, get fit and be available to start if needed. Um, so it was it was great to see uh, some of the new guys um, like uh, Dorkin and uh, Totland did really well. Yeah. Uh, Kijima also uh, the few minutes he was there he scored that goal. Um, so yeah, it looks like the the depth is there and. Um, I, when we talk about Houston, it will be interesting uh, what you guys have for your starting lineups. Uh, I think this one is one of those that will be all over the place for the three of us. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my final thought on this is I don't want to leave the Houston match without mentioning two players that we really haven't talked about a whole lot because um, they did so much off the ball. Sam Adenaran and Thomas Tolland. So Sam Adenaran's work in creating chances through through balls and his speed and pace to get in behind the lines was phenomenal. Now, there's a genuine conversation to have about how the Klaus-Sam combination is going to work going forward because so often we saw Sam as that line breaking forward and we saw Klaus more tucked underneath in a lot of ways, trying to find space off the ball, off of doing what Sam was, was doing in retrieving the ball. But I, I was excited to see Sam's speed. Um, I think that is such a big asset for us to have at the start of the season and his ability to continue to have that speed and pace as the game progressed was phenomenal. This guy's entering entering the regular season in such good shape that he's going to be a force for us in the MLS regular season. Thomas Totlin led the team in steals with five. He was one of the passing leaders I mentioned. The guy was doing every single thing that we hoped he would do on that right side, both both sides of the ball. He was such a, a stellar two-way player. His ability to track back was exactly what we had been talking about on that right side. The 1v1 defending in space, you felt confident when he was defending on the right side. The only time I think we got burned is when he, in fact, was was too high and they had progressed the ball beyond him. And so you had Josh Yarrow kind of cheating over, and that's what led to the goal that was called off is Josh Yarrow kind of had a, a defensive mistake on the right side as he was covering, and then Anthony Marcanic was pulled, tucked in too, too close to the keeper, and there was nobody on the far post. That That is something that City has to work on, is making sure that they're not leaving too much space in the box when they're caught with three defenders and one of their fullbacks is pushing up. Other than that, Totland, I thought, did a fantastic job. He almost had a goal. I mean, the, can you imagine the, the craziness that would have happened if Totland would have scored that goal that fell to him? It, the guy's going to he's he has the potential for five goals this this season and he has the potential for 10 goal contributions just from this first game alone what i've seen fantastic excited for number 14 can't wait to see more of him absolutely you're listening to flyover footy on the big 550 ktrs we appreciate you joining us and sticking with us as we cover the first game of the season for st louis city uh, but we are about to preview the first official regular season game in MLS that is on Saturday night. Um, if actually, if you're listening on the radio, we're you might be driving there. We might be uh, getting you ready for the game tonight, and so we appreciate you uh, joining us for that. Um, and we hope to get you hyped here because this is going to be a good one. Uh, RSL is coming in, uh, maybe a little bit tired. They just played Miami as we record on a Thursday night. They just played Miami last night. And so they only get a few days of rest, one more day of rest to St. Louis. It's all a fun conversation to have, but we're going to get pretty specific here. Matt, do you want to lead us into what we're looking forward to here with RSL coming in town? Yeah, these teams are no stranger to each other. Played each other twice last year. City defeated RSL at 
at Sandy, Utah for their fifth win in a row last season, beginning of the year for nothing. RSL came back, punched City in the face three to one on June 21st. But the roster that played in St. Louis in that match was about as different as we could possibly see compared to this year. You're talking about Lucas Bartlett, John Nelson, Jared Stroud, Nico Joachini all started. Jake Nerwinski started. Indiana Vasilev played a defensive midfield role, like we mentioned. That is not in any way, shape, or form the same city team that is going to be playing Real Salt Lake at home this weekend. I had a chance to talk to Alex of the RSL show this week. If you haven't checked out that pod, please do. But if you if you have, I'll give you some cliff notes here. They, they're overall optimistic about this club going in because of the young talent. It's not a reset. It's not a retooling. But they have lost some very key components from last year. Demir Krylik, Jefferson Savarino, two of their top leading goal scorers are out they brought in Fidel Barajas from Charleston Battery in the USL Championship, paid a $250,000 transfer fee to bring him in, and they're expecting him to start off the bench, which he did against Inter-Miami. That'll be interesting to see if Barajas finds his way into the starting lineup because they're expecting him to play the Diego Luna role as far as progressing him into the MLS squad. So Diego Luna, we know who he is, national team exposure. He's one of the top bright stars of MLS. Uh, just like Diego Luna, he can play, Barajas can play the wing or the 10, but Luna's the guy to watch for, Diego Luna. He's going to be their playmaking uh, attacker. He's going to be the guy who they try to drive their offense through. But they didn't replace those designated players that I mentioned with anybody that we've really heard of, and they don't have plans to replace them. Definitely not by the time we play them this weekend, probably not even by the time we play them again in March. They brought in Matt Crooks. He's number 25 for their team, comes from Middlesbrough. He's a midfielder, likely to be their number 10 under Chicho Arango, who is their designated player that they brought in last summer in their transfer window. Matt Crooks may not be ready yet to play, though, so that'll be interesting to watch to see if he finds time. don't believe he was on their roster against Miami, but he would be a difference maker. Uh, the wingers, they can expect to be to play some inversion. So they, they run a 4-2-3-1. Uh, they expect their wingers to invert, to play free-flowing into from the midfield into the attacking third, often like St. Louis does. The Barajas and Andres Gomez over on the left side, they're, they're excited about what they can bring. They have new assistants. So this is one of those things that you're not going to see on the field, but it's going to be it's going to play into what you saw last year with RSL versus what you see this year. Uh, new assistants have joined Pablo Masseroni. They're expected to implement that 4-2-3-1, the flowing attacking wingers defensively. It might look like a five-man backline. That was the thing that gave me pause talking to Alex from the RSL show is when they drop back, they might look to drop five players back. Some of those wingers might slide back. If they do implement a low block at any point, that'll be fascinating to watch to see how St. Louis is able to manage that. Thought it wasn't bad against Houston, but last season it was counterattacking football. This season they're expecting to play a little more direct through the middle. They're not going to boom it out on the wings as much as they did on the counter like they did in last year, but they have a lot of unknowns because like we saw against Miami, um, there's just a lot of unknowns with the coaching staff addition, the loss of some key players and playmakers. This is very much a team that is figuring themselves out. What do you think, Santiago? I know you're probably uh, a few Colombians on this team. I always think of the Colombians <laughs> with uh, RSL. I don't know if that matters to you or not, but it is a pretty cool team with some nice additions, some nice players coming back, coming back from injury in Ruiz's case. Yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely uh, the teams that have uh, any Colombian always <laughs> catch my attention, especially RSL. They have... Uh, four Colombians, uh, they all started against Miami hmm. on, on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, like my dream at some point is that City has a Colombian player, but Absolutely. let's not rush into things. But yeah, I always like to 
to watch um, any team that has a Colombian. Obviously, Saturday uh, I'll be watching from the other end, and at that <laughs> point I, I'm not gonna care much about uh, RSL having Colombians. Uh, but what I wanted to say, Matt, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Matt Crooks uh, that he wasn't on on the bench yesterday. Um, both Crooks and uh, Alexandros Catranis, who is another one of their signings. Uh, they were listed yesterday as still uh, waiting for their visa. So ah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so I will not think we will see them um, on Saturday. And that's a big loss for what they're expecting to be able to compete with this year. So we're so they're a team that's wanting to play, to compete in their comp competitions. They're a team that's wanting to go far in a lot of the tournaments this year. So they seem to be playing the long haul game where they're bringing guys in. They're not ready. And unlike City, who seems to be having a full complement of players, minus a little setback with Leuven and Nilsson and the obvious injury to Alm, they're not they're not unhealthy. So that was one thing is that Real Salt Lake, as of at least going into the Miami game, they didn't have any injuries to worry about. It was just Barajas getting him up to speed for MLS play and the and the couple players you mentioned, Santi, who apparently aren't going to be available, which this is another opportunistic moment for St. Louis City. I really enjoyed um, that Taylor Twelman did like the five minutes leading into the game, and he had a really good scouting report on RSL. And Matt, in your interview, I mean, you ran into the same idea from from the guy from the RSL show that um, they are looking to possess the ball more than they had in previous mm-hmm. years, and so that's something that seems to be. Uh, a desire from higher up even. And so not necessarily early in the season are we going to look for this to happen. But I think someone like Crooks, um, a healthy Ruiz, getting Luna to do what he can do, um, I think they're very capable of adding that element in throughout the season. Um, and, you know, I look forward to that. I also, of course, as a former USL guy, I just love – you You mentioned that um, that RSL is on the long haul. They're going for the yeah. long the long game. And I agree. I love that Luna has developed into what he is. Luna has high hopes to be sold to Europe in the next two years. And it would be so much fun to see Barajas do the same thing, be a bit of a starting player, uh, you know, a sub player, someone who can kind of fill a role this year, take a step up in the next two years, and then maybe sell him on another year or two after that. He's young enough for it. He's a Mexican international with uh, U.S. parents as well. So I look forward to what Barajas becomes. Hopefully, you know, I'm crossing my fingers as, as a, for an American addition uh, there. But we'll see what happens either way. I love that RSL is willing to give USL players a chance. They got two of the best ones um, on their team now. Yeah, I, w- I would say if I was looking for a key to the game tomorrow or this weekend, rather, I would look to halftime adjustments. If if you watch the game, you probably notice it, but also a lot of the analysis afterwards, you saw that uh, Pablo Masteroni was was credited for the halftime adjustments, pressing high to create scoring opportunities. Um, they, there's some players who they think are still in preseason form. You know, uh, Chicho, Arango, Palacio, yeah. Andres Gomez missing some time. I mean, there's there's things that they're still ironing out. And so the first week of an MLS regular season is. Uh, just a crapshoot no matter how you how you shake it like that's always up in the air on how teams are going to perform coming out of preseason I think it's a benefit that St. Louis had to get geared up so quickly for Champions Cup so the mindset is there you already saw the successful halftime adjustments that Bradley Carnell's side made in the ability to finish the Houston match compared to how they start I would argue that the the Real Salt Lake team that played in the second half they had a lot more high pressing but their possession also jumped up 
And so with that came more shots, more XG. They had more opportunities consistently in the second half. Obviously, Miami struck quickly when they needed to and finished them off. But Real Salt Lake was really the better team overall in the second half. And so that's one thing that I think is going to be leading to another tactical battle is Carnell and his second half adjustments versus Mastroni and his second half adjustments. That's going to be the difference maker for me in this early game. It was nice to see that RSL's press was working extremely well against Miami. Uh, St. Louis plays Miami later, so uh, we'll see if that sticks with it. Uh, Sorry, boys, we're a bit out of time, so let's do our um, guesses for what, our predictions for what's going to happen in this game. Starting 11s first. Matt, go ahead. Here we go. All right, so my starting 11 is Roman Berkey and Nett, Nicholas Dewar left back, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow center backs, Thomas Totland right back, Jabulu Blom and Edu Leuven in the midfield, Celio Pompeu, Indiana Vasilev as the attacking mids, and then I'm going to go with Nukvi Thorson and Klaus up top. Thorson and Klaus. Okay, what do you think, Santiago? <laughs> See, I told you guys we were going to be all over the place. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I have Berkey. Then I have uh, Nerwiski on the, on the right side. Mm-hmm. As center backs, I have... Uh, uh, Tim Parker and Kyle Hebert. Left back, I also have uh, Nicolas Dur. Then um, I have Jabulo Blom and Nakil Watts as defensive midfield. Mm. And then um, Celio, Ostrak. And then I have uh, Nugby Torrison. And instead of Klaus, I have uh, Sama Enirin. Okay. So, uh, Matt, who did you put it right back? I had Thomas Totland at right back. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm going to, boy, it's going to be a hybrid. Nerwinski, I want Hebert to start this game. I would actually enjoy to see Nilsson. Hebert, I think, has a knock. Um, I just saw that today. So, yeah, I was going to say, we found out Hebert picked up a knock and didn't practice today. Oh, okay. So I'm wrong already. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> not about that. that. He can't, not that he can't recover. You know, Carnell wasn't, <laughs> he, he wasn't like, it's going to be a long, we don't know when he's going to return type of thing, but they held him out yeah. today. I want to say Nilsson, but I will go ahead and say Yarrow and Parker again. Agree with everything else Matt said. Honestly, I'm not even gonna gonna change anything because I think rotation is key. And you know, I'm even maybe a little worried that Vasilev is in there again with all the running yeah. he did. That's the only thing that kind of mm-hmm. irks me a little bit. Maybe even same with Klaus, but I could see them going 60 and getting their butts out of there. So the thing is, Klaus and Sam both went the full 90, and so one of them I think yeah, has to give, to. but I don't yeah. think. I don't think both of them is going to give. So the formation really drives what you're going to see out there because uh, Nuki Thorson can play the left attacking mid just as much as he can play a second striker. So I think his mm-hmm. flexibility leads him there. He didn't see didn't feature at all. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity for him. Indiana Vasileb subbed out early enough because of his wrist injury that I think it enables him to okay. recover quicker to be able to go. And he was a full participant that we saw in training today on Thursday. So that, again, bodes well to his fitness and then I think Salio, who subbed in late, this is a good opportunity. Leuven and Blom with the same. And this mm-hmm. is an opportunity to turn that thing over. But whether it's Nerwinski or Totland, I expect what, if, if we see certain players play a cumulative 150-plus minutes between the two games, they're less likely to feature on Tuesday. I think that's where you're going to – to me, I see more significant rotation against on Tuesday – but I see us going a little bit more for it, hyping ourselves up for this first home match in MLS. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, Go ahead. Yeah, and that's what I have uh, more rotation, um, putting some of the players that didn't see any minutes. 
mm-hmm. because um, obviously with the two one scoreline on on Tuesday, um, the the series against Houston is, is still open, and if you put a lot of those a lot of these guys on Saturday and they go uh, significant minutes, you may not be able to have them ready for for Tuesday. So that was my my reasoning. I think City, yeah, you, you you want to take the home opener seriously too, but. Uh, you have a chance to advance in an international tournament, so um, you have to rotate as needed. Yeah, and actually, we have a lot more time than I expected, so we can talk some more, and then we'll do our score predictions at the end. But I think the Vasilev two thing, I love that you know he did come out. He's probably the freshest of all the wingers, but he's also we didn't get to cover this earlier. You kind of touched on it, Matt, in that. You said maybe because of injuries, we're seeing Vasilev in that spot, but he mm-hmm. is definitely the guy stretching the lines. He's the one running in behind and all out. Vasilev is doing that. And he's doing so well at that. So I don't know if Vasilev is out, who's going to play that role. Maybe Celio. I mean, Celio makes the most sense in some ways, but he's such a, I don't know if you agree with that. What do you think, Matt? You have some thoughts. I can tell. Yeah. And, and I think it was telling that Celio Pompeu, when he subbed in, went to the left side. Uh, that's probably where his strength lies. One, one of the things that I find fascinating when Carnell makes these tactical changes and especially with Indiana Vasilev this year versus last is putting a guy on the field in their best possible position versus putting a guy on the field because they're one of the best 11 that you can play. And so he makes he makes sacrifices at times to get a guy on the field who needs to be on the field, but it might not be their absolute best position. That could be a thing with Celio Pompeu is if you have a lineup where you have AZ Jackson and Celio, for instance, starting this game, which I, I don't think you would. I, I think AZ is probably going to be a sub in this one. But if you had both of those two players on the field, um, you're able to have Celio on the left. You're able to have AZ on the right because I think AZ might be a little more natural on the right. But then if you have Salio and Indy, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing. The only time I would put Salio on the right-hand side is if you have a strong, maybe a Nukvi Thorson is over there on the left. Maybe you have a lineup that includes Thorson, AZ, and Salio at one point, and that's why Salio could move over to the right. What we saw in the second half against Houston was the the carousel of moving all those players over. It It is important defensively, but I want to remind everybody of just what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is what AZ Jackson did the entire game he was in. He defended on the left, but in the attacking third, he was all over the place. He was putting himself where he needed to be to have the best best opportunity to do something with the ball, to create a chance. And that's what this team really does in their attacking third. You have a lot of guys who, when they set up defensively, this is one of my favorite things to do, is I watch when they set up defensively, you notice you can make the shape out. You can make the formation out very easily. Whenever I call a formation, I'm talking about how we look defensively. I'm talking about how we set up against the ball. Because once we have the ball and we're pushing in the attack, you're seeing AZ all over the place. You're seeing Salio overlap with Sam. And so it makes it look like Salio might be a forward and Sam is a second striker when that's really not their quote unquote position. So it, it really, it's, it's semantics in a certain way when you're talking about which side a player's on, I think it's really impacting defensively more so than anything. Yeah, I agree. And you know, there's just, I would say there's even more rotation in the way they play offensively this year than maybe any game that I'd ever seen last year. It seems like guys are happy to move around and let AZ move around and guys move around um, to fill in whatever gaps while, while they're attacking. And I think that's still in motion. Like you were kind of saying, Matt, like we said on KTRS that they maybe still haven't quite figured that out. 
Um, any other? We have a, a few more minutes, Matt. I know we missed some of your talking yeah. points. If you want to hit one or two before we we do our prediction for the score. Yeah, one talking point I want to give. Um, Adam in the chat, I just saw mention, I still like Sam and Klaus up front. How about a Kojima start? Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of something that Carnell said today. And so I want to want to say this because it's not going to slow the hype train at all. But Carnell was very, he was very mindful, very specific when he used this, this terminology. He said on Kojima, he goes, I think we need to give him some space to grow. The less we talk about him, the better to keep him on the right track to grow. He likes to learn the game. He retrieves the data. He engages with coaches. He's very active that way, counterpressing the urge to step in and win a duel. It fits our game model. But it, it caught me how Bradley Carnell, when asked about Jose Kojima, his first instinct was to be protective. It was to be that that father figure almost of of making sure that the hype doesn't get to the kid, that we don't anoint him yeah. as the net, the future of St. Louis City because of four, five, six minutes of play and one goal. I, I absolutely love the hype. I'm a part of the hype. I was retweeting the heck out of those highlights after the game. It was a tremendous story. We should be excited. We should be supporting him and excited. But when it comes to expectations going forward, I don't think anybody's expecting him to continue on a 22 goals per game streak <laughs> that he's on right now based on his goals per minute. But, you know, Brett... So when it comes to what we might see in the next few games, that's kind of where I'm leading with this, is don't expect too much from Kojima because Bradley Carnell was very clear saying, I think we need to give him space to grow. And so his choice to sub him in at the end of the game, I think it was more put him in and see what happens because Mm -hmm. he's earned it a little bit as opposed to put him in because we know he can win us games. Yeah, I, I agree. When I was thinking about my starting lineup, like he crossed my mind for a few seconds, but then I was like, no, it's it's too soon. You have yeah. to uh, let him continue progressing. Uh, Tuesday was more like you were saying, probably he can go in, get a few minutes, uh, get his professional debut, but uh, don't rush him. Just uh, continue that progression. And uh, yeah, he, you can tell he he fits with the team, and uh, he. He, uh, it's a student of the game, but but yeah, just don't rush his his progression. And long term, that's gonna pay off. And and the the real big impact for that is he's on social media. Be careful what you tag him in. If if something mm-hmm. happens in the next few games, just like let's not be that fan base. Uh, completely agree with that. Uh, he also like says the right things. Like Americans love hard workers. Americans love guys that get heady about the game, or at least we do. The soccer nerds especially. Yeah. And so he's just man. He's just saying all the right things to make us uh, hype him up a little too much. So good call. Well, that's with the Bradley thing post game too. Doing. Yeah, and that's the thing post game too is he's not in that regard of of having us back off. You know, he says all the right things in yeah, addition right. to doing the right things on the field. Right. So what's not to love? <laughs> Stop being so perfect, Kijima. We won't do this to you, but <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of just one last thing. Um, speaking of development and not rushing anybody, I kind of brought up in our DMs. You know, can we get Glover in? Can we give him some some blood minutes, basically, um, before he starts at City 2? Um, I was a little bit confusing. So not to, like, get him ready for City 2 by any means, yeah. but just to get him some MLS minutes uh, before he gets hot and heavy having to play with City 2 every single week, before minutes in MLS could even take him away from a City 2 appearance. Uh, would you guys like to see Glover sub in, maybe if we're up 2-0 or up two goals in some in some competition coming up? I, I would love to see him uh, in the game day uh, in the game day roster. 
uh, to begin with. And, and yeah, if there is an opportunity, he can come in five to 10 minutes. Uh, that'd be great, especially in this stretch uh, of four games in, in 11 days. Um, it would be good to, to have him there. So, uh, so yeah, I'm hoping he, he gets a, an opportunity at least to be on the bench. And then depending on what's happening during the game, give him a few minutes. Yeah, I, I this this is a good stretch of games that would provide that opportunity. Mm. I I'm also excited for the fact that because we feel we don't need him and we're letting him train with City Two, we're obviously comfortable with our depth as it is. Yeah. I wonder if we progress past Houston and we continue more more matches midweek throughout the next four weeks or two two to four weeks, then do we pull him back in in a game before City Two kicks off on March seventeenth? because that would provide even more of an opportunity. But uh, Bradley Carnell seems to keep alluding to Caden Glover in the same breath of not always Brendan McSorley, but in the same breath of a young guy who's still developing. And he doesn't quite, he's, I, he has a first team contract. He's signed to a homegrown deal, but he's not spoken of regularly in that same breath. So I don't, I, if I was a betting man, I would not bet to see Caden Glover before we see him for City 2, but I could absolutely see the reasoning with all the matches that we have going on. And, you know, a really good place for young players to get minutes is the Open Cup. So we've got that going for us. Uh, let's Tune into the wind down on our podcast. <laughs> Please do. We're going to get into that and, and get into some of the things we missed since I need some glasses and I can't tell the difference between a two and a three on my tiny clock on my screen. I apologize, uh, but we will cover everything that we missed in the podcast. So please check us out. If you're listening on the radio, you can find us anywhere. Just search flyover footy um, predictions real quick scores and we're out of here. Matt, what do you think? I've got it 3-1 St. Louis City. Santiago? 2-0 St. Louis City. I'm going to say 3-1 as well. I agree with you, Matt. I'm agreeing with you a little too much tonight. We're going to have to fix that. All right, again, flyover footy. Thank you so much for joining us on the big 550 KTRS. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Go City. Welcome, everyone, to the wind down. What you got there, Matt? Finally, Four hands, alcohol. Finally, alcohol. <laughs> Four hands full life, because I'm feeling I'm feeling full of life tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. I, that's a darker beer, right? We got to empty mm. these dark beers from. Uh, it's about to be spring, you know. So it is. Velvet we're gonna miss. We're gonna miss the seventy degree weather by a day here on Saturday. But oh, it's just still supposed to be a pretty nice day and a nice evening. Good. We've been lucky already. Um, Santiago, where are you hold up? You said you had work in Columbia, Missouri? In Columbus, Ohio. That's what I meant to say, Columbus. That's you pivoted from Columbia to yeah. Columbia. <laughs> yeah, I think you're thinking uh, Columbia, Illinois, because uh, <laughs> I think it was Chris Gephardt. He, he made a comment when I was talking about uh, Colombian players. He, he mentioned that Caden Glover is from Columbia, Illinois. So for now, that's the yep. closest I'm going <laughs> to get it. to Columbia. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Nice. And uh, it's been a busy week but i'm glad i was able to make it to the podcast uh been a little yeah disconnected that's why i didn't know hebert uh had a knock today so i had him in my lineup i fell 
<laughs> and I am sorry, you Santi, offered you... a call and I missed you. I didn't have time to, to get it in at eight o'clock. No, I know. But I would have loved to open with your call on the Kijima goal. That would have been cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to more Santi goal calls to Agreed. open the show. That's what I'm looking forward to. As many to. as possible. Yeah, um, Santi, you missed a packed house today at the press conference on Thursday. It was, oh, it was yeah? the, the excitement was in the air. Everybody was there That's... to see. It was fun. Well, yeah, that, yeah, I was I was disappointed when this three came up uh, because I was like, oh, I'm gonna miss, uh, like, I'm I'm not gonna miss Tuesday's game, but I'm gonna miss mm-hmm. like the press conference and everything uh, leading into the home opener. But uh, all good. I'll be there on Saturday. <laughs> uh, Matt, is there anything you want to cover about RSL yeah. before we move on to other it, things? It's not well. I guess it's related to RSL, but. Uh, if, if you're in attendance on Saturday or you're watching on TV, be on the lookout for these little patches that are going to pop up on on some of our players' jerseys right above the Adidas logo. It's a debut crest or debut patch, mm. rather. The debut patch is something that MLS is uh, doing for newcomers to MLS or homegrowns making their MLS debuts. Basically, if you're stepping onto an MLS field for the first time in, a, in an MLS match, then you're going to wear a debut patch in your first game. It's a partnership with Tops, the trading card company. And so what's going to happen is Chris Durkin or Thomas Totlin, Nicholas Dewar, those are our three candidates for St. Louis City. If they step on the field, they're going to be wearing a debut patch. After the game, that mm-hmm. patch is going to be taken and it's going to be given to Tops. They're going to put it in a one-of-one card and it's going to be available to pull when you buy trading cards. And so oh. for all of, our, all of our trading card collectors, if you're not a trading card collector, don't go out after the game because it's later this season. They're gonna tops and MLS are gonna have more information, and obviously we're gonna cover it because it's a huge deal. <laughs> but, but they'll have more information on when they actually make them available. I think it's a fun thing in like kind of recognition of overt recognition of somebody's first appearance in MLS. It's Billy, you're totally right. It's corny, but I love it. It's <laughs> it's very much this MLSy type thing that they do that nobody else does, and they're trying to figure out a way to somehow somebody's making more money off of this. I'm sure Tops is going to make more money, but it's nice recognition of the player, and I'm, I, it's something that sets them apart. So when their first match, Caden Glover didn't get to experience it. Uh, Chris Dirk and Will Thomas Totland, Jose Kojima, if he appears. You know, all these players, they'll have this this special patch, and it'll be fun to see who ends up getting their card months from now. 37-year-old Luis Suarez will have one. Luis Suarez, <laughs> absolutely. Kind of a funny one. No, I love it. It's very... Tore his off at halftime last night, apparently. Did he? That's hilarious. That's what Chris Gebhardt says. That's funny. Hmm. I, so there, I there won't be a card for him. Somebody must have... Hopefully somebody found it, picked it up. <laughs> who doesn't want to pull a Suarez debut, one of one oh, MLS? Right. Right. Very now, though, you know, like it's cards are really hot right now. So it was really yeah. smart of them to jump on this. Um, I love it. Um, that was a good thing to start with, Matt. Is there uh, let's talk about the uh, homegrown rules, uh, because it's I find it very funny that they're still doing this at all. But uh, that was announced today. So, yeah, they have uh, St. Louis City's homegrown territories was officially announced. So that's something that we have uh I guess we know of. And so it includes everything that we kind of are familiar with near us. And if you're not familiar with MLS and homegrown rules, um, it's gotten better, but every team has a territory that encompasses their geographic location. So some teams have an entire state. Uh, I think if Minnesota probably has the entire state of Minnesota, things like that. But St. Louis city, for instance, has 
the state of Arkansas that's excluding Northwest Arkansas, the state of Missouri excluding the Western half, for instance, and then they actually share some counties. Because I was curious, do we get Boone County, which has Columbia, Missouri? And no, it appears that's shared. And then they have some Mm. counties in Illinois, and they have two counties in Indiana. Now, what do these counties mean? That means that a player who is from any of these counties but is not a part of your academy system can still be protected by St. Louis City so we have their rights if they were to try and go sign with another MLS team or academy. Now, MLS has gotten better about this. It used to be where it was an unlimited amount, and it was you can you might not have anything any visibility to this player until they try to sign with another team but that other team can't sign them until they pay you money so that was that's the most bizarre thing about this is previously you didn't have to have any awareness now mls has this homegrown protected list and i think it's nine players at last i counted that you can put nine players in your territory on a list and they have nothing to do with your academy. And these nine players, if one of them tries to sign with another MLS team, that MLS team has to buy out their rights from St. Louis City or whoever, wherever they live. So the ter- mm. that's why that's why I mentioned these territories because it's just one of those St. Louis City. We always talked about in the, in the last few years since we did this back dating to 2019. We've always wondered what was are they is this still going to be around? Is this still going to be a thing whenever we we kick off and. Unfortunately, it is still a thing because it it really doesn't make sense in the mind of um, just an open system of letting players go and letting teams recruit wherever. But MLS is getting better with it. And the idea of the homegrown territories going away is something that is is real. So we expect that to happen at some point. They're kind of slow rolling it, though. It doesn't. It seems like if a player wants to be had it's been a long time since there's been a pretty big argument over whether you can use them or not. So I think it's not that big a deal anymore, really. Yeah. And, um, most of the roster rules, thankfully though, because MLS, uh, they, they listed out a whole bunch of stuff, um, new for this year. The roster rules are mostly intact. So everything we've been talking about with MLS 201, with all the different salary cap, uh, the gam tam, it's all basically the same. And it is risen only in accordance with the CBA. The CBA that was renegotiated during COVID that goes until 2027, every year it calls for incremental growth in the salary cap, incremental growth in GAM, and a corresponding decrease in TAM. They're trying to phase out TAM, increase GAM. It's more flexible. You can use it on more things. You could trade it. It's it's the flexible Garber Bucks. But nothing's, nothing's surprising from what they released, thankfully. So we don't have to do a show dedicated to the new roster rules. But... One thing that is timely today that Bradley Carnell said as we look to the start of the MLS season relates to the referees. And I saw a couple things in chat asking to or talking about the referee situation. Referee situation will be interesting to see on Saturday because with the pro referees having their union members from the PSRA locked out, we're getting scab refs. We're getting replacement refs to referee all MLS regular season games. There was a replacement crew last night that Bradley Carnell, during his press conference, said they did they did a good job. They did an okay job. I thought they did. But Bradley Carnell's comment today was very interesting to me. You guys remember the new rules that MLS is instituting as far as the substitutions, um, time you have to get off the field, uh, the the injury uh, time where if you go down on the field and it's like a non head injury, then 
you have to leave for two minutes if the training staff has to come out to you. Bradley Carnell didn't say what specific rules, but he did say there are potential new rule changes that have been delayed due to the pro lockout. He thought the group in Miami did an admirable, admirable job and VAR is still there, so he's confident. He didn't have anything negative to say. He was very PC. But it's going to be fascinating to see if these new rule changes are announced as, as being delayed or if they just don't call anything. So if you're watching this match on Saturday and you see a guy go down and the training staff come out to get him and there and he just goes on playing, that's going to be what he means by this is that potential mm-hmm. rule might not be implemented because of these replacement refs. No, it's been announced. I'll try to find that tweet. Uh, was it officially announced? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if that one was mentioned, but you know, they were supposed to do um announcements on the field, like the referee was supposed to announce yes. certain things. That's being delayed. And one other thing is being delayed, and I thought it was one of those new rules. Um, I could be wrong, but we'll we'll, we'll clear that up. Could be the sure. substitute one because the substitutes have like ten seconds to get off the field. Otherwise, yeah. other, otherwise the replacement player can't go on until the next. So things that that causes more thinking uh, outside the normal yeah. for a ref, basically, is is what it sounds like. It's understandable, but I like that Bradley likes those new rules. I love them. I think they're really smart. That's I, I like that he gave us a heads MLS. up in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's do these um, Joachini Straw Bartlett updates because I think it'll lead us right into all of that. Nico Joachini got his first appearance with Como on the 10th of February. It wasn't a terribly long one. He didn't get a ton of chances, but we did see his quality in small spurts, right? Yeah, we're, we're seeing him get worked on, and that's a good thing. You saw a few matches that he, he made the game day roster. He didn't appear, and the reason that we are following him isn't just... Uh, because we love him from St. Louis. We have a financial stake in him because we want to see St. Louis do better. And so goes Nico. So goes the financial pocketbooks of city. So, mm-hmm. and Como is a fun team to follow. I mean, there's just a lot to like about their social media, how they include St. Louis in their match time starts now, uh, their global times. So we get, we get a nice call out for those. So it's, it's fun. And I hope that as their season progresses and they continue their fight for promotion, Nico plays more and more of a role over the next three months or so. We'll see. He's uh, he's he's up against it. I do think he's been looking good, but you know they have other players kind of higher profile than him that have been playing a lot more. They do. Um, so we'll just we'll just see where that takes us. I'm not gonna freak out either way. I'm really happy for him to be where he is. So yeah, and and on the other the other guys that we that left, Jared Stroud, Lucas Bartlett, they're back in the U.S. after playing in Saudi Arabia for a while. Their fans are now protesting for the first four games because of their involvement in Saudi Arabia. So Stroud mm-hmm. and Bartlett, we love those two players, but they have to deal with that mess that their organization has gotten them into. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. Yes. Um, and, and let's just say this before I, I use my uh, transition that I'd like to use here. Mm. Um, Billy and Chris are helping us out here. Off-field treatment was one of the delayed ones, and leaving the field quickly on subs was the other one. So so we were both right on yeah. those. We were it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like everything. I think it is going to be everything. I mean, that makes it makes sense uh, for the situation. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't bode well like matt you said dc united is in a little bit of hot water with the uh supporters group is gonna um protest for four matches i forgot what they're doing they're not cheering right no drums no flags isn't that right yeah they're they're silencing the supporter tools essentially yep and uh you know i noticed that the bundesliga who has been just ravaged Mm. during games by their supporter groups uh, with tennis balls, chocolate coins. I think in Bundesliga 2, there was a remote 
control car with a smoke bomb on it running around on the field, yes. which was fun to see. Um, you know, but, you know, Bundesliga fans are throwing a massive fit about something much smaller of a problem than what we're dealing with here in MLS in the United States. And so let's touch on this Open Cup um, yes, let's touch on endeavor. it, Phil, very, very briefly. Yeah, I actually, I've been really worried about this. Um, Talking about it? Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, why don't you lead us in with, with what is going down, because you're better with the details than I am, and we'll just see kind of where this takes us. Yeah, the, the thing about this is when some of these kinds of conversations happen and we get into them on flyover, they tend to have Phil on one side, me on another side. Because I, I tend to, I don't tend to take MLS's side. It's not that. I just, I have a very soft spot for how soccer in this country came to be, like why it is the way it is right now, and the the reason there are reasons behind the growth of MLS's madness. Like the MLS exists now so that we could have first division soccer. I'll I'll say that very plainly, and and I will back that up on 28 years of history. Now, what's happening now with the U.S. Open Cup is very much, and everybody is on the same page. Because nobody wants to see a domestic cup go away. Nobody wants to see a league feel like they're above a domestic cup. Because it gives shades of what the Premier League did when it was founded back in the early 90s with the biggest teams trying to break away from the FA and do their own thing. It gives shades of the Super League here recently in the last few years of the biggest teams in Europe saying, we're too big for the competitions that govern us. We're going to go do our own thing and make the most money. Now, I know that MLS is a closed system as it is, so I'm not talking about it from the side of pro-rel. I'm talking about it from the side of a responsibility to the game as it exists in your country, a responsibility to grow the game and to be a part of the system that grows the game. Don Garber's comments are very pointed. He made he made comments today that are very pointed. I'll get to them in a minute, but to just lay it out of what the issue is, because there may be people listening to this who have no idea what's going on with the Open Cup. And so to lay it out plainly, the U.S. Open Cup is the domestic cup that puts together all professional and a lot of semi-pro amateur teams. It, it is the domestic cup competition in America to where any team can play in a tournament and then progress on and beat any other team. It is possible for an amateur side to go on to play and beat MLS teams and then win a cup. That is the beautiful game in America. It is one of the truest forms, and it's existed for well over 100 years. And St. Louis has such a soft spot for this Open Cup because of the 10 times the St. Louis team has won it. It is not just passionate from St. Louis FC and the recent history and St. Louis City's involvement, but St. Louis City last year in their engagement in the U.S. Open Cup touted all of the benefits, the U.S. Open Cup, all of the reasons that it has helped to make St. Louis the soccer capital of America, America's first soccer city, whatever you want to say. So now MLS has decided that they no longer want to participate. And by making that declaration this past December, they announced that they were pulling out their first teams and they would be sending their MLS Next Pro two teams in its place. When they made that announcement, U.S. Soccer responded by saying, your waiver for your next pro teams to play has been denied. Now, we thought that might be the end of it, but turns out since the turn of the new year, U.S. Soccer and MLS officials have been in conversations daily, near daily, to try and figure out a resolution to MLS teams' participation in the U.S. Open Cup. 
And as it has developed, there have been various quotes, various articles and graphics that have been released that show what appears to be an actual plan about to be implemented that only involves eight MLS teams out of the possible 26 participating in the U.S. Open Cup in 2024. Now, everything is a stopgap for 2024. Everybody is looking to something different in 2025, but there's a there's a mad rush by MLS to change things for this year. And they cite fixture congestion. They cite uh, a diminishing return for their own league as if they're trying to steward the financial responsibility as the only and primary goal. If it doesn't make us money, if it's not being respected as they put it, then they're not participating. They don't look at it as their responsibility of a Division One league in U- U.S. soccer. And so the eight teams that, that are rumored to be participating are, are coming in in a, a third or fourth round, but they're still sending about nine MLS Next Pro teams, if this graphic is to be believed. And this graphic was disseminated to USL officials. It was reported by uh, USL Tactics, John Morrissey, on, on X. And so... MLS Next Pro would send nine MLS affiliate teams. There are two independent teams, 11 in total. MLS would send eight teams, and that leaves nine gaps, nine teams that would not, they're just not listed there. And so if you read the tea leaves in the comments that Garber has been saying, citing Champions Cup as impacting the fixture congestion, because that happens around the same time as US Open Cup, it's kind of back-to-back, you can see that, MLS appears to be trying to pull out their CONCACAF Champions Cup competitors from the U.S. Open Cup, which would include St. Louis City. I'm trying to look for the USL statement. Uh, Another wrinkle in this was um, part of that was the rumor that MLS wanted 40% of games where they were the away team. They wanted 40% of the ticket sales. Yep, but they weren't willing to reciprocate that forty percent if they were the home team, mm. um, which is to me psychotic. Um, right, yeah. and I understand their argument, and I think we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, but you know, the USL was really upset about that. A lot of those teams said, "Well, screw this. If they're going to try to pull that, we're out." And that was a really scary couple of days because, if, yeah, I think if the USL pulled out, then this tournament starts looking like it wasn't it isn't going to happen this year and that scares me more than everything else um and it was announced today i was looking for the statement because it is like a fu to mls and the way they said it um you know i kind of said that they they claimed the moral high ground with uh the fact that they're they believe that the open cup helps all of the united states soccer and they're proud yeah. to say that they're going to ha- participate 100 percent in it yep as i say i've got the statement that Paul please McDonough do go ahead made. i'm sorry Yeah, you're good. So Paul McDonough, in a statement to ESPN, he said, I'm really disappointed that the USL teams even have to make a decision. I'm not really happy with the situation. I'm disappointed that U.S. soccer hasn't handled the whole situation in a stronger or better fashion. He added, a lot of teams have made decisions, and we do have a majority of teams looking to participate, but I want to make sure that it's right for everybody. He goes on to say, according uh, in relation to MLS, everybody in the soccer business needs to rethink how competitions have been... uh, or this is, this is the Garber statement in response to that. Garber, Garber before that had said, everybody in the soccer business needs to rethink how competitions have been organized to ensure that we can continue to evolve and manage what is the single biggest issue for all pro soccer, and that's the management of our schedule. And so Paul McDonough then said, some USL teams have been very adamant that they want to be in just because of the history of the cup 
and what, what it means to them. Others were just really, really upset that they're in this situation and they've talked about not participating. MLS teams participating, they're a key factor in the finances of this whole competition, McDonough went on to say. Uh, Paul McDonough said, the problem I have is a, I understand MLS dilemma with schedules. I get it completely. The easy solution was, look, we're mid-tournament right now. Stay status quo for 24. Let's figure out how we change things for 25. He said, this is, instead of everyone going through it in December, having productive conversations, and then all of a sudden we're back to a modified December position again, where I just think the USSF should have just said, no, this is what it is. McDonough said, if soccer is going to grow in this country, I know MLS probably thinks differently. It's not going to be built on the back of just 30 or 32 Mm -hmm. MLS teams. It's just not. That's That's the most direct, Phil, that's the most direct I've ever heard USL leadership, Paul McDonough or otherwise, uh, speak about MLS. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I don't don't think it's strong enough, but I think it's the right thing to do. Um, And I think, I don't know, Santiago, I think this is a good place for you to kind of give your thoughts. Maybe you're going to be a little bit in between. I'm not sure what you feel about this. Honestly, you've been pretty quiet about it. So uh, one question I have. For you guys, uh, these eight MLS teams that will participate, how will that be determined? Do you guys know? Yes. Oh, well, it's rumored in that article, right, Matt? How it's anyone that isn't in CONCACAF Champions Cup, right? Mm-hmm. Any, which is, you know, anyone in the bottom eight spots of MLS, basically. I think that's what they're looking to. I think it's it, it's... <clears throat> based on positioning from last year from last year okay yeah there's there's conversations about what about the teams that don't have next pro affiliates yeah like montreal for instance uh, dc united so what are they going to do and they very well could be part of that the eight that's required to compete but that mm-hmm. hasn't that's one of the remaining things that hasn't been laid out is what's the criteria for if you're only having mls eight mls participate Who's it going to be? And and this I, the question from Billy in the chat. This is a good question. Would you rather eight MLS clubs compete in the U.S. Open Cup? So we take that as is the graphic and the proposal to USL or full participation from next pro clubs? Eight. I, I will go with something similar, like something in between. Uh, if it had to, I, I don't like MLS next pro teams uh, instead of MLS teams, but. If something had to be done, I will go, the route I will go is MLS Next Pro teams for the teams that are playing in CONCACAF Champions Cup, and for the rest of the teams, play your MLS squad. Um, obviously, it doesn't look like uh, this will happen, and yeah, I, I like this uh, solution with MLS, eight MLS clubs, and then the rest, uh, the MLS Next Pro and CONCACAF, Champions Cup teams are out, obviously because St. Louis City will be out. But um, yeah, uh, the U.S. Open Cup has a lot of history. St. Louis has a great history with it. Uh, I am personally, obviously from the St. Louis FC days, uh, we we got to uh, live that history to see it live, to see it at the stadium, to see it happening. So... uh, I don't know. To me, I have a special bond with the Open Cup. Um, I, I would love to see City uh, and the MLS participating, um, but doesn't look like that's going to happen uh, at least fully um, next this year. Um, 
maybe they'll figure out they'll figure something out for this year and come up with a good solution for next year but uh i still don't get uh why um u.s soccer doesn't take a a stronger position and, and say well if you guys don't participate we're gonna pull out your division one status i know it could be dangerous for for u.s soccer but um just curious about and i and matt i know you you, you want to say something so go ahead. yeah that my opinion on that is is partially what i was alluding to earlier about the history of mls and i i can understand why it was founded the way it was and why it exists the way it does um and it relates to what this U.S. soccer landscape, outdoor soccer, looked like prior to the 94 World Cup, prior to MLS. It was a wasteland. And MLS was structured the way it was so that we could have a Division One team as a prerequisite for the 1994 World Cup. And U.S. soccer did what they had to do to set it up. There were, at one point, three owners of 10 teams. It was dire for a bit. The, the, sport, the, the league grew out of how it had to grow because you're starting a brand new league in a capitalistic society in the 90s. And it, it has no similarities to how soccer was started in European, South American countries. No similarities. And I think, I don't know what exists in the contracts of MLS owners. I don't know, I don't know what would happen if MLS was decertified as a Division I league, but I have a feeling that lawsuits are the least of the concern. I could envision not and this is probably partially due to the lawsuits i could envision a collapse of the u.s soccer structure if mls was decertified and and i think that's it's partially because mls could likely this may this may be why they have the the upper they feel they have the upper hand they feel they have the leverage i don't it's not out of the realm of possibility to me that mls could cripple u.s soccer financially if they attempt to decertify them and it would definitely be that meme Right. Like, how could U.S. soccer do this? And it's MLS with a smoking gun. You know, I don't I don't try to do everything we could. We tried to be we tried to find a solution, but they forced our hand. And by doing this, we had to et cetera. Yeah. And, and I want to say I want to get just a few bad things out of the way um, and then stop with it, um, because I think, Matt, you, you put up this. Um, is it Paul Tenorio? Yeah. Tenorio got this uh, article that. Got a lot of quotes from uh, Don Oof. Garber. And was, I got so mad reading this thing. He came out firing. Yeah. And so I guess let me just list a few things that just make MLS just completely disingenuous about anything they say, about anything they claim, about the history of soccer, about their role in it. Um, you know, the fact that he basically said, you know, USL wouldn't exist if it wasn't for our two teams. I mean, I don't think that's exaggerating at all. He said that in the article and he said it, he said it verbatim. And then, thank you. I I just don't want to go too far. I'm trying not to, I don't like to blow things out of proportion. And so he also, you know, said that USL kicked us out of their league and anyone who's watched the USL, thank God, most of us are STLFC fans know that that's not a whole truth by any means. And yes, a lot of people were pushing to get rid of the two teams, but um, kind of something I dug into today was um, I got some info from Matt Hartman. I was like, am I crazy or did MLS Next get set up for all the academies? And they basically started two leagues and one was for MLS teams affiliated academies and one is for non-MLS affiliated academies. 
mm-hmm. their argument was that not MLS academies don't give good enough competition. So we're going to have a league where we play each other for good competition, and then we're letting you stay with us. So they're like segregating because the competition's not good enough. And to me, that sounds exactly like what USL was saying about two teams saying, you know, you guys got to build stadiums. You guys, we have a good product. We need you guys to just keep up with us as a two team. Even though it's a two team, your players are good. Just please keep up with us. We need a good product here. And there was just butting heads, butting heads. And, you know, here we have this quote saying Don is dropping out of the USL because they kicked him out. Uh, Okay. Very disingenuous. Um, There was one more. I can't think of it right now. Oh, the fact that the, the, the ridiculous fixture congestion that they caused themselves. The playoff format was announced yesterday, I believe, that they're keeping yeah. the three-game first round. My goodness. Like, you just can't make this stuff up, guys. They're complaining about fixture congestion, <laughs> and they keep adding their own games, saying, how could U.S. soccer do this? Again, with the smoking gun and the open cup lying dead in the background. It, It's killing me. So those are the bad things. This is why... Unfortunately, I don't think we can trust a thing Don Garber says, a thing MLS says. Thank goodness I've been sitting for weeks now, like just trying. It makes me depressed to think of all the things that Matt said might just happen. The worst possibilities. It makes me so sad for the United States. It makes me sad that, in my opinion, MLS is, is the worst, the bad guy in this. But Sebastian Salazar came out with a great, 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 great video as he laid some of this stuff out. Oh, yeah. And he, he kind of made some of the arguments you made, Matt, saying, I understand what MLS is thinking. They probably do deserve some credit for USL being a strong league. They might not have made it to this point if it wasn't for those two teams. That's true. Um, they don't – they're putting a lot of money, and they're a very efficient corporation, organization, whatever. They're so efficient. They've done amazing yeah. things in a short amount of time with a whole lot of money and investors willing to take a massive risk and they deserve credit for that. And so for them to say, we're going to put all this time and effort into our product and then have the U S soccer stumble over the open cup for a century, practically not making the best of it. You want us to spend our time not being efficient with money, with ads, with views and watches, clicks, you know, like I understand that they think this is a waste of their time. It is not an efficient use of their time. Sebastian Salazar led that, um, read that out perfectly. And it does make you angry. I just laid out why I'm so angry and I'm almost done. I'm sorry. But like he said, we can't, we can't just blow this thing up yet because it it's not official. Nothing's come out saying this has happened. And so U S soccer, like, they haven't. They've been measured. They haven't come out and said you're losing your sanctioning. Um, that's what I wanted them to do a week ago. It's all I can think about. <laughs> but the U.S. or the Open Cup is such a special thing that he's like extend to them the olive branch until you can no longer extend to them the olive branch. Keep it cool and let them try to make the right decision. Try to let the fans, we as fans, I think maybe are the only thing that can maybe tip the scales here other than good negotiating between U.S. soccer. Um, So he said that, extend the olive branch. But at the same time, I loved what he said about having a magnifying glass looking at um, the people in charge. And it's, I'm forgetting their names. It's probably in this article here. But 
it's the CEO and I forgot his name. Uh, but there's two people from U.S. soccer. Cindy Cohn was one of them. Yeah, Cindy Cohn and Batson. Yeah, are the two that are in charge of this that we know of out of this whatever committee that because it's like a cabal. It's like this subcommittee, this U.S. Open Cup committee that that's that's the other who's on it. That's the other shady thing, right? Because there exists a U.S. Open Cup committee that what was his name? Madison. Is it T.J. Batson? Matt Madison was the the chairman of that committee and he resigned. Oh, yes. Pardon he me. resigned because he said he was feeling he was he's told he was pressured by the board to step to stand down in his negotiations no. because they weren't. And this is the chair of the U.S. Open Cup Committee of U.S. Soccer. There exists a subcommittee that was named that they won't tell us who is on Stu that is Holden actually quit it today. <laughs> the subcommittee, but the, right? The, the key thing is it's uh, Stu Holden was on the U S open cup committee. Mm. I think, but Sorry. the key thing with this subcommittee that's actually making the decision is that they have carte blanche to actually negotiate, not just negotiate and then go back as, as if like they're, they're beholden to the U S open cup committee. No, this subcommittee is making the decision on their own with MLS as far as what to proceed with. And that's why Madison was, he stepped down because he was, he was pressured to step down because he was involving himself. So the whole thing is, is shady. It's very cabal like, and it's very mysterious. And that doesn't help with any of the narrative that you're describing, because even as a guy who I want to see the good in people and in organizations, if you have this level of secrecy, you're inviting criticism. There's no way that you can look like you're negotiating in good faith. There's no way you can look like you have the best interests of the sport at heart when when you're so secretive. You're not even allowing people to know who is making these decisions that we're criticizing. Transparency should be one of the top goals of those committees. And that's why the committees are there so that the back room stuff doesn't happen. There's a committee outside of the back room uh, trying to deal with this stuff. And they've, you know, created a subcommittee to just let the BS like exist. Right. It's, it's totally untrustworthy, but just to finish um, what Sebastian Salazar is saying is that hmm. that magnifying glass needs to look at Batson and is it Cindy Combe? Like, yeah, the, we have two names and we, we need more. We need more transparency, but right now we have two names and those two are who we need to focus on. We know Don Garber, obviously, right? We know that yeah. Don Garber is also the talking piece of all the MLS owners who are the ones getting the real vote here, right? Um, and we don't know who's voting which way. And so they've all somehow there's some majority of MLS owners telling Don Garber to go for it. And he's the one kind of trying to figure this out. Um, and so anyway, I agree. I think we need to stay calm and wait but also be really critical of U.S. soccer and to try to make the right the right moves here uh, because it's on them to kind of tread lightly here. I mean, in a way, like MLS has the, the ability to do whatever the heck they want because they're only fighting for their owners and capital mm-hmm. in a way. And the, and the owners seem to be voting for capital, I guess, is, is a good way to put that um, at this point. And so we need somehow to change their minds, either as fans or U.S. soccer with that magnifying glass, we can look as fans and journalists, hopefully, yeah. at what they're doing and hopefully treading and making the right steps in the right direction in a hopefully peaceful way. 
And the last thing I'll say is that Salazar also said, the only negative thing I think he said really about MLS is they've got one foot out of the tournament already. Yeah. And if they let them do that, um, how are you going to get them to put two feet back in next year? They're, you cannot trust them to do that again. And so he's like, definitely don't let them step out of it, right? At that point, if they try to step out and do nothing this year, then yeah. you put the hammer down. But, you know, the goal is to get them to come back to the tournament full scale, two feet in, doing every single MLS first team playing in this tournament. And I th- hope that they're able to figure that out. Because the hammer is losing sanctioning. Like you laid out, that You said you... I mean, I've not thought too heavily on this because I get too depressed. But like you said, like lawsuits might be the least of our problems because that's something looking at the NASL problem lawsuit. I mean, that's been going on for so long. I've seen people say that what this would be like a minimum of a 10-year kind of a lawsuit. And what happens in between now and then? What happens to the World Cup? What happens to Copa America? There's so much going on right now. You mentioned a, a group of MLS owners that um, the fact that MLS owners are the ones driving Don Garber and you look at the single entity structure and every owner in some way, shape or form may be complicit. And in St. Louis, that's a hard pill to swallow at times because we know that and, and this is likely true in other organizations. I can't imagine it's not true in just about every organization where members of the front office desperately want to play in the U.S. Open Cup. They don't have a voice at the table in these conversations because they occur at the league level, those subcommittees we just mentioned, the the ownership, board of governor meetings. But front offices, people that you are probably thinking of you who you know at City, who you know at other organizations um, in similar roles, want the U.S. Open Cup to continue. And so that's where I struggle with directing my ire is the people who drive a lot of the things that I – relate to with St. Louis city don't have a say, and they probably feel the exact same way I do, but they're, they're inside the machine, so to speak. But I bring that up because there exists at MLS. And I do want to make this clear, a product strategy committee that is charged with improving and growing the game without sacrificing competitive balance. And they make these decisions primarily for other MLS owners of how do we want the strategic direction of our competitions to go. They helped lead the League's Cup charge. They, in my opinion, would be, and I think this has actually been said, would be the decision makers behind pushing for these kinds of changes, saying we want out of the Open Cup. We want to present these specific ideas as ways to get out of the Open Cup. The Product Strategy Committee includes Portland Timbers owner Merritt Paulson, Seattle Sounders owner Adrian Hanauer, LAFC owner Larry Berg, City Football Group CEO Farron Soriano, Red Bull Managing Director Oliver Mansleff, and Sporting Kansas City owner Mike Illig. That was last reported with those members in December of this past year, which coincides with the first time we heard about this U.S. Open Cup debacle. And and this is the group that is largely believed would be behind MLS decisions in regards to the the strategy and how their product takes the field and what competitions and how that serves MLS the best. So when it comes to directing your ire, I direct my ire towards 
those owners. Yeah, and I guess all I can think of is I'd like to assume that Carolyn Kindle is voting in the best interests of St. Louis, and I think I just wish I could have a coffee with her <laughs> and say things like, I know you have a vote, um, but your vote can't be the end of the story. You, I know you believe in the history and the blood of St. Louis, and most of that, a majority of that comes from the Open Cup. Even the World Cup appearances from St. Louis players were figured out probably through the quality of St. Louis teams in the Open Cup. And so I would just plead with Carolyn Kendall, like, please don't just vote. We need you to be our advocate for the Open Cup because it means so much, not just to St. Louis, but to United States soccer. I mean, we're talking about the United States national team. Again, MLS can't be the only thing progressing the game in this country. We're way too big. We're way yeah. too big. It's not, I mean, even England can't do it, and they're tiny. Look at our country. It is expansive. It's giant. We need all levels to be included and yes, that's going to dig into MLS's pocketbook. Yes, it's going to dig into their numbers. Yes, it's going to cost corporate owners more in the long run. But yeah. you can't exist in this pyramid. You can't collect money from these fans without being a part of it and contributing to it. And the Open Cup probably is one of your best marketing pieces whether you believe it or not i mean it means so much to so many fans and i think the more new fans that come in the more they're going to love that and maybe enjoy soccer over over terrible leagues like nfl even you know like mlb like these are just like conglomerates at this point trying to suck every last penny out of every fan like there is beauty to this game that can surpass capitalism and grossness because things like this can bring us all together. The David Goliath, the the bottom up, every single, even amateur teams get to be a part of this. It's beautiful. And it gives I, you clout. You know what I mean? And that's a marketing tool in some ways. And it's definitely a tool to uh, raise players to be something better. And so I just hope that she will advocate for St. Mm -hmm. Louis, not just with a vote, but like she needs to be our Senate. She needs to whip votes in MLS. Yes. She talks to those owners on a one-to-one -one level and there are good owners, there's bad owners. In my biased opinion, the good owners are outnumbered right now, and that just needs to change. And um, as fans, we can push that. It might get ugly, too. It might get ugly, um, and I just hope that the, the things change before, before the fans have to get too gross with it, before the battle gets too ugly. Uh, that well, is that not a threat. I, I hope that didn't sound like violent or anything. I don't mean, I'm not going to no. violence, but... It is going to get uh, there's going to be protests. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. And right now, the protests by a lot of the supporters groups, St. Louis is included. And in the ISC conversation centers around League's Cup because primarily because Don Garber's comments, as disingenuous as they are relating to fixture congestion and the self-inflicted wound that is the creation of the League's Cup and the month long break in the season by their own doing, uh, how dare he? call the U.S. Open Cup the thing that needs to change when they've gone and done this. For for the growth of the game in regards to growing their pocketbooks and you grow the visibility of the game with a competition with another country at the expense of growing the game in your own country, there's 
there, there's hardly a way to describe how backwards that is. And there's hardly a way to, to come to grips with the fact that you can have it both ways. The, the, the underlying thing in this entire conversation to me is there is an easy button here. You just have to want to do it. Yeah. And it's increasing the roster sizes. Mm. It's allowing flexibility. All you have to do is allow flexibility in non-MLS regular season competitions. You don't have to touch your precious MLS. You don't even have to touch your precious Leagues Cup. You can you can allow specifying the rules because they're your own damn rules. Like you're making these rules yourself. It's it's quite literally the the Eric Andre meme that you mentioned earlier, where you're shooting the 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 U.S. soccer fans, and you're saying how how could somebody do this when you set the rules that could enable all of the things we're talking about? That's what I keep coming back to: is how is it so backwards that you don't just expand rosters unlimited in non MLS competitions? You bring up your two team players. You want to introduce nine MLS Next Pro teams. You can do it under your first team's badge you don't have to have these self-imposed restrictions engage the mls pa if you have to have conversations with the pa to make it happen have the conversations you're giving more players opportunities like i i i cannot fathom how this wouldn't be something that can that, that this would be a better use of your time energy and resources to engage the pa and how do you keep your teams in spirit only in badge only in that competition, the same way that you have these FA Cup, League Cup competitions in England, the Pokal competitions in Germany, the competitions where you play your reserves, you play the guys who can't find minutes in league play or Champions Cup, league play, or whatever it is, that that's it. The playbook is there for you to design your your roster rules around. You don't have to change the salary cap. You don't have to change anything that makes MLS what it is. And that's the thing that bothers me the most is we're sp they spend all this time and, and are just taking so many L's <laughs> doing this when when there is a, a fan-friendly, amenable option just sitting out there that lets you – it lets you have it all. Just take it. It's so simple and it's so easy that um, clearly they've thought of it and <laughs> chosen not to uh, allow that to be part of the – the conversation and that's i think that's one of the things that makes me the most angry about it um but i am still that sebastian salazar video really was perfect like we can hold we can wait and have patience uh, and hope that it goes the right way um before we put the hammer down and you know but prepare right lulians are preparing they've They've said yeah. there will be plans. There's plans in place. Um, and yep. they were really smart to not do anything, even though people were urging them to yeah. not to do anything until the time has come. And that's the thing is you, you can't just it, we talked about uh, some of the protests that happened in Germany because of the, the corporate issues going on over there, trying to over either overturn 50 plus one or or introduce more corporate sponsorships and corporate ownerships. We talked about I mean, you saw we saw earlier today some uh, protests in Italy. I think it was supporters. I mean, there's different protests that occur all over the place, but. America is different. I mean, there's you you can't set fire to stadiums. You can't have giant banners that say mother effer on them. <laughs> I mean, there there are there are appropriate and useful and by useful I mean productive, productive ways 
that you can stage protests that have already made meaningful changes in the past. I think of the uh, Iron Front logo of a few years ago in MLS. Seattle and Portland had to deal with that, banning signs throughout stadiums. Protests were staged, policies were reversed. M- meaningful change can happen based on fan protests, and it's it's directing your your frustrations in the right way. And if you protest MLS regular seasons, might not Colorado last year because of all their, their issues that they had in their stadium and all the, the things that were being done to their team. And I think of targeting Leagues Cup as a very natural, very responsible way to do that because that is the root cause of this as much as Don Garber doesn't want to mention it. It's the elephant in the room. Everybody knows he won't ever say it because it's his golden goose. But I think it's the best avenue for this type of protest. And it's not like the protest that we mentioned in um, D.C., for DC United protesting the first four games because their team trained in Saudi Arabia, they blood money was given. (laughs) And so this is a direct issue with their club in particular. This isn't a direct issue with St. Louis city. This isn't a direct issue with the product on the field for any club or the, the front office who've signed off on all these things or a particular owner. This is a problem with all of the owners Uh, through the, the independent supporters council, all of the supporter groups that are a part of that, Leveraging coordinated leagues cup protests, if that is if if that shows to the the world in this U.S. Mexico club tournament that supporters are silent in all of those, that would speak volumes. And we have a lot of work to do because when this first started being um, shared, you know, the rumors started slipping through that the Open Cup might be destroyed this year by MLS. I threw a massive fit on Instagram and I know several people who I thought were pretty avid fans of of St. Louis city be like, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And some of them were even like, what's the open cup. Yeah. So like guys, we're up against it. And so like, it's, it's up to us to protest peacefully. It's up to us to share with our friends and educate them because no one's going to, I mean, I think it's very clear that, that Don Garber is counting on the average American sports fan who makes up a majority of soccer, you know, MLS fandom, just assuming that we're the next MLB and NFL to come mm-hmm. along. And because all this is very normal for NFL, it's very normal for MLB. It's it's this is just how they operate regularly. It's only people who know the world game that are really upset. I don't say that in a snobby way at all. And we have to be careful not to sound snobby when we make this argument, but we do need to let them know that like soccer is a beautiful game and it can stay that way. Let us show you how beautiful it is. Let us tell you about the open cup, especially in St. Louis. It's a fucking easy argument. (laughs) I will have to put an explicit sticker on this one, but my goodness guys, it's so easy in St. Louis. Just share that with them. It's more romantic than what the Cardinals have done over the years. And that's romantic as hell. So it's an easy argument. We just got to do the arguing and show them how amazing it is and how amazing it can be going forward if we just protect it. So um, it's on us, guys. 
one thing I do want to address, there's a question in on, on YouTube um, about what's their beef with your simple roster expansion option. And the fact is that they have not brought up that as an option. That is something that based off their concerns with fixture congestion, with making the best use of their first team's resources, that is, is such an obvious resolution that journalists, media, us, however you classify us, that is the natural conclusion that you come to is MLS has a, as a maximum roster number of 30, 30 players you can have on your first team. And they have roster rules that explicitly limit the number of players that you can call up from your affiliates, MLS next pro. And so as a result of that, you draw, you can easily lead to if you're complaining and, and part, part of that also goes to the fact that the complaining about the fixture congestion is probably smoke and mirrors. Right. Like, Philip, you mentioned earlier, you have a tough time taking Don Garber at his word. This is an example of that. It's an example of Don Garber saying the thing that, oh, this is an easy out for us. We're playing four tournaments a year. Something's got to give and it's going to be the one that does the least for us. Okay, well, that could make sense if you had all of these roster restrictions removed and you were still having issues pursuant to that. But the, the math doesn't add up here. And so what he's not saying is what we're suggesting. He's not saying that we can't do expansions of our roster because X, Y, and Z. He's ignoring it. And that's the problem is the, the easy solutions are not being addressed because they highlight fixes to something he's saying is the problem but is not really the problem. Yeah, like... We can name four or six players we'd love to see start an open cup match, right? Right now. All we got to yeah. do is change the rules, Don. Like, give us and, the permission to play those guys. Well, and, and Jeremiah Simmons has something to that. It's if the problem with the roster expansion approach is MLS teams expand their rosters, roll out lower players, it makes the league look bad if their teams are losing to lower league players. I would say that it's not you. You could have that happen, but you have no data to back it up because so far in the U.S. Open Cup, that's been happening. You're playing your roster slots 21 through 30, which is your supplemental roster. Don't forget that MLS teams can only roster a game day roster of 20 players. That's why you have a senior roster. That's why you have a supplemental roster. So they they have the introduction of what we're talking about now, where you can only roster 20 players per game day, but you have 30 available on, to your supplemental roster. There's no data that says if you played roster slots 31 to 40, it would be any market difference in overall t- results compared to playing 21 through 30. The drop-off cannot be that severe, but we don't know that. It's a leap of faith to say that... MLS teams would inherently look bad if you play the next 10 players that exist on your next pro teams. It's, I mean, that's a Jeremiah, that's a great argument. It is. And, and MLS is saying that they want to have the best product at all times and losing to a USL team is embarrassing and it looks bad. Um, USL league one, especially it NISA, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But it is, um, if you watch the game and you just know who's starting, like I don't really, I know that's what's upsetting them, um, and I understand that. But, um, you know, without Goliath, there is no David. And I just know that there's – I don't know. I don't know. Like, I feel like he thinks they're losing face and they're losing money by being a part of it. And I just don't think he sees, you know, the the full picture there. (laughs) 
it's like an investment. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're investing in stocks and bonds, and you have you have these stocks over here that are earning eight, nine, ten percent interest, and you also have these bonds over here that you know the market is good. You know the market is strong, and that you can be you can be making a ton of money if you went 90 percent into stocks. But you've got all these bonds over here to play it safe, to do what you've been told you should be doing. And you're like, I, I'm done with it. Like I, I, I could be making millions of dollars more if I move these bonds into these stocks and let it ride through this, through this bullish market. That's exactly what Garber's doing. The bonds are the US Open Cup because that's the safe thing. It's what has to be there. It's your safety net. It's what's required of you. Your financial advisor is saying you need to keep 10 to 20% bond. You have to keep it. And there, and Garber's saying, no, the, this is this is a freight train going. Yeah. We can make so much money with Leagues Cup. We can make so much money if we expand the things that Apple TV is allowing for us. We're taking our bonds and we're converting it to these stocks. We're leaving the U.S. Open Cup behind, putting all our money behind Leagues Cup, and we're furthering the Apple train. It's like he's like shorting GameStop. It's all he wants to do. It's short games. I'm kidding. But uh, another good one is uh, another good tweet series. A good thread was Paul Kennedy today um, did the math on three different leagues. I think it was England, um, what England does for their FA Cup, what Germany does for the F, uh, the Pokal, and um, what France does. And both of them kind of do this like, Home team takes a certain amount for expenses. Usually it's like 5% or so. Yep. And something else happens, and then they split it 50-50. And so, like, if MLS wants 40%, sure, like, just reciprocate. It just needs to be fair for everybody. And it just shows, like, major footballing countries (laughs) see this as a valuable thing. They don't see that 50-50 as unfair. Like, this is the one country saying this isn't fair you spoiled rotten brats i just don't understand it yes they brought us further than any other league um in those other countries in a short amount of time and they're right about a lot of things jeremiah's point is one of them for sure uh but my goodness if these other amazing footballing countries are willing to do it and they're willing to split it 50 50 imagine what the premier league could do with their power and money to the fa cup i mean they could destroy they tried. it well, they they tried when they started. Yeah. I mean, if anybody hasn't read the book, The Club, I need to. just go read it. I mean, the founding of the Premier League, it, it mirrors a lot of the, the concepts of what we're seeing here, where you have your Arsenals, your Man Uniteds, your, uh, at the, I forget the teams at the time, Blackburn was one of them. Right. But, I mean, Liverpool, uh, yeah. you know, your big teams at the time that wanted more. Like, they, they were not getting enough from the the FA's first league, the top league at the time. And so they created the premier league and they forced the FA's hand. I mean, big clubs getting to do what they want. In this case, it's, it's not big clubs. It's MLS getting to do what they want. So I I draw parallels between MLS and the biggest clubs in Europe in what their, their mindsets and their ideologies are in, and I don't draw parallels from MLS to the premier league. I draw parallels from MLS to those big clubs. Absolutely. Um, Matt, I'm going to give you the last word, but I'll just like reiterate one more time. We hold, right? Olive Branch, but we are very critical of what U.S. soccer does in the near future. We support the Luligans and ISC, Independent Supporters Council. 
Um, because, and we educate our friends, right? I think these are the yeah. things we can hold on to and push for in the meantime until something big comes up. But um, Matt, I don't know if you have final thoughts here. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting few months. Um, it really seems like it's going down the path of MLS getting what they want as a stopgap for this year, and then next year will be a whole different story. But there are there are ap- appropriate, I would say, protests in in the works if that does happen. Conversations are being had. Um, it is designed to both not punish players of any kind, because I think players, if you, they can't say it, but they're supportive of a lot of these endeavors to remain in the U.S. Open Cup, support the U.S. Open Cup, support the U.S. soccer structure that exists. And so whatever ends up happening in, because we are in that MLS ecosystem here in St. Louis now, we're not, we're not the little guy now, we're one of the big guys and we have to keep our big guys honest. And that's the power of supporters. It's the Luligans, it's Fleur de Noise, it's Santos, it's the Punks, it's all of these groups that have stood with ISC saying save the cup. Because the cup has to be saved in, in the US. In order to provide the growth that these lower level teams need, the financial windfalls that they get from this competition that can sustain them year over year needs to remain. And so that's what we're going to see in St. Louis. It's it's you'll see the hashtag save the cup hashtag save USOC. Those things will happen. You've seen the banners from the Luligans, the punks, the Florida noise Santos that's coordinated and it's, it's intentional because a, a combined group that has the reach of these, these groups, these people can make a difference. In each market, there are groups like this, and we'll continue to do what we can. In this this podcast in particular, I'll I'll close with this. This podcast was founded from a lower league team, from passion for a lower mm-hmm. league team. Phil, you started this in 2015 from your passion for lower levels, lower level soccer for St. Louis FC. I joined you in 2019, not because I was excited for St. Louis City, but because I was excited for St. Louis soccer. St. Louis FC was the soccer at the time. St. Louis City, MLS for the Lou came. And it's been a fantastic run, but our hearts are with soccer in America, soccer in St. Louis, and all the history that comes before that. And so this podcast in particular will continue to champion those values, will continue to hold as accountable as we can just by talking about it, because we can't can't legitimately hold people to task. We can continue to raise awareness, visibility, and that's what we're going to do. And we might have podcasts that go 45 minutes that talk about St. Louis City's on-field action, and we might analyze the hell out of it. We might talk about individual moments, goals, how seasons are progressing. And then we might have an hour of a wind down where we talk about the things that are just permeating in our minds the entire week that we're passionate about, that we just need to get out and need to have said in the world. And that might continue to happen because it needs to. That conversation needs to be had, even if we still need to be talking about and supporting the players on the field, the team that we support and are passionate about. You, We will have it both ways. We will have that, that conversation about St. Louis City, and we will have that larger conversation about what needs to happen in U.S. soccer. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, thank you guys for listening this long. Hope you have the same passion that Matt and I have for this team and this game. Um, let's just do our best to uh, support 
the right way to, to do things, whatever that may be. And I hope we've represented lots of sides here tonight. And so we're not even telling you what to think in any way. Um, please join us and contribute to the conversation in the chat on Twitter. We are uh, very open-minded. And so if you have any well thought out thoughts, corrections, whatever, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, and, and we always promote our, our podcast itself at the end saying, if you haven't left a five-star review, please do. Um, a review and a rating, please do. But at the same time, join the conversation on socials in the chat. Like, let us know responses. Um, hold us to task if you disagree with us because everybody's not going to feel the same way we are. And honestly, a lot of the best conversations happen when you hold people to task. So whether you agree or disagree, let us know because that's the conversation that needs to happen. Absolutely. Thanks again, everybody. Talk Thank to you. Later.